Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail. This is Jacob joining you as always, and I am joined remotely again by my fabulous co-host, Hannah Reffitt. Hannah, how is it going today? It's going good. What's up, Jacob? How are you? Doing well. This is our first podcast of the new year. We recorded a, a podcast before the new year, and I think it was supposed to be a somewhat optimistic and hopeful you know, 2021 is going to be better type of new year podcast. Hope our listeners have been enjoying the playlist that we sent out. So far, 2021 has not proven particularly better than 2020, I would say. I'm definitely hanging on. I think we all are. It's just a very, it's just like eerie situation happening after eerie situation. I just, the sequence of events of the last like year of our lives has just been completely insane yeah never thought in a million years we'd see it like last year at this time things were completely different yeah i mean oh my god there was there was uh this is not a political podcast there was still some some things that were not ideal i would say in our country but uh it seemed like a relatively normal time of life in retrospect compared to where we are now but yeah Yeah. um with that i mean we're not able to record in person still but we've got a fun episode today and it's going to be the second episode in a series that we're doing called blind tasting and we if you listen to our first blind tasting episode the the kind of conceit of this whole series is that we're going to try to guess some composers of pieces that in this case, I don't know, and I am a big wine fan. Hannah, will I'll have you speak in a second to your own wine credentials, but the two of us have talked a lot about wine tasting, and the goal of this is to kind of take a wine tasting approach to listening to music, because this is a game that I play with myself often in the car, not ashamed to admit it. Uh, I think a lot of people often, especially music nerds we might call them play this game where you hear something on the radio and you can't quite identify what it is but you try to figure out based on the musical clues that you hear what it potentially could be and i actually think that it's not i talked about this a little bit in our previous episode as well but i i think it's worth stressing i think it's not just a fun or kind of nerdy exercise for in the know musicians to play I actually think this type of listening can be super revealing about the details of a particular piece of music, what we listen for when we hear a new piece, and how we can use those details to form an interpretation, you know, have a kind of more meaningful experience, all these great things that we talk about on the podcast. Before we start, though, Hannah, you actually are a far more legitimate wine taster than I am. Give the listeners just a brief sense of some of your uh, wine credentials that are are pretty legit. I don't, I, I guess I wouldn't, you're very kind. I don't know how legit I am. You definitely give me a run for my money. But when I was in undergrad, I took a number of beverage related courses as a part of my degree. And some electives out of that degree that I took were two wine sommelier courses. And in order to take the second course, I had to pass the examination for the first level of the master sommelier. So 
gosh, so much cramming I did for that, for that <laughs> class and that test. But it was like the best cramming because you got to sit around with friends and taste wine and talk about the components. And it was one of like the most enjoyable and fun, but also challenging experiences I had in undergrad. It was just so fun. And th- I think the reason why I actually, um, fell in love so much with classical music beyond the music itself was through my education of wine and sommelier um, in a sense where this type of study of sommelier is very um, segmented in a similar way to um, the details of this podcast, actually, that you have come up with, Jacob, and um, taking setting aside time and really focusing and um, allowing yourself to taste all of the components of the piece. And it's sort of the same way in sommelier. When you are taught in this course, you before you even get to taste the wine, you are instructed to look at the wine um, and tell and tell the people around you and talk to the people around you about what you're seeing, what the clarity of the wine is and what it looks like. And then you smell it. And then once you've done those two things, then you get to taste it and then you get to really chew on the wine. So anyways, I think there's a lot of similarities that we have talked about, Jacob, about this, the similarities between listening to classical music and wine tasting. Um, and it's, it's another thing that I really enjoyed to do. And yeah, I had a I had a great time in undergrad learning how to do this skill, and it's just a great it's a great thing to do at parties. Actually, you just walk around and ask people what they like about the wine that they're they're having, and it's it's like a fun party trick. I can still taste like I can still spot a few different types of wines if I'm just like out at a restaurant. That's not really happening anymore, but I'm really good at spotting a Malbec. Really yeah, good at nice. that. Yeah, I can spot a Malbec. I can, um, you know, spot some. I it's easier for me to spot New World wines than old. Me world too. Because, me too. Yeah, I yeah, actually yeah. find New World to be just generally much more like. Well, it's it's much easier for me to isolate that a grape is New World as opposed to Old World, and if it is oh, yeah. Old World, then it, it's really hard. Um, but old, yeah, we've had old some, world is meant some... to be dynamic and tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've we've had some good wine tasting parties, and I, I would uh, I would attest we to have... the fact that they're fun. And Hannah is an accredited uh, sommelier, so legit. And glad <laughs> that you're joining us on this on this podcast. I'm going to do my best to apply those skills of wine tasting to the world of music. And for today, I have asked Hannah, I gave Hannah a list of composers. We're going to restrict the music that we blind taste today to the Baroque era. And I think this is going to be, if I hadn't restricted the composers, this would be super, super challenging. Because I think if listeners want a little primer on some Baroque music, we did a listening tips episode on Baroque music, and that would serve as kind of a good uh, preamble to this episode. So if you want to take a listen to that one first, it might be worthwhile before you listen to some of the clips that Hannah has chosen here, especially if you want to kind of try to play along. Um, but Baroque music, I think one of the knocks on Baroque music is that a lot of it sounds the same. And there's so much of it. And so if you listen to classical music on the radio, you'll find that 60% maybe is Baroque music. And it's because there's so much, all of it sounds 
on a superficial level, pretty similar, and they can just plug and play whatever movement of whatever Baroque piece they want, and it will be pleasing and enjoyable to a lot of people. So I think that makes actually the blind tasting, in air quotes, of Baroque music kind of challenging. As a result, I've limited the number of composers that Hannah could choose from for me to the composers I think are the most famous from the Baroque period. There's still about 20. I'll just read them off very quickly um, so people know the composers in question that Hannah could have chosen from. We've got Bach, Handel, Corelli, Vivaldi, Pergolesi, Telemann, Pachelbel, Purcell, Monteverdi, Schutz, Praetorius, Lully, Uxtehaude, Rameau, Couperin, Alessandro Scarlatti, Carissimi, and Domenico Scarlatti. So I probably left off one or two famous Baroque composers that people might have a beef about, but those are the kind of top 20 or so Baroque composers that I restricted Hannah to. And I think doing that will actually potentially give me a chance when trying to discern what composer wrote the pieces that she has chosen. And hopefully in doing this exercise, it will help all of our listeners, myself included, maybe Hannah as well, to listen a little more closely to the minutia of difference between a lot of these pieces and composers, because hopefully it will illustrate for us kind of, uh, you know, some of the stylistic quirks of Baroque music and how we can appreciate the variety in Baroque music and not just listen to all of it as the same stuff. So before we start, Hannah, I just want to ask you in general, you were tasked with picking four pieces from the Baroque era. Did you do any sort of um, digging? Don't, don't give anything away from me f- for me, but uh, what did you kind of talk a little bit about just the process of finding the four clips that you eventually settled on? Yeah, um, I just picked some names off the list, um, names that I was... Three three names that I was vaguely familiar with from the point of me being able to pronounce their names correctly for the sake of the podcast. Um, and then I also YouTube just obscure. And then I generally knew some widely known pieces by some of these composers so that I wasn't giving them to you so that you knew them off the bat. It is confirmed Great. that I don't know any of these four pieces beforehand but I'm going to do my best to uh, fight my way through here and come up with some guesses. So I'm going to try to guess, like we did on the previous podcast, the country that this composer is from, ideally the composer themselves, and a decade that I'm going to try to place this music in. So Hannah, I'm going to start with your first clip. Any kind of I don't want you to give anything away. Should we just listen to these clips right off the bat or do you want to say anything about uh, about these clips or should we just dive right in? Um, We're doing clip one that I sent you. It just made me, (laughs) this is bad, but it just made me laugh the first time I heard the the first line of this song because it's just so relatable to what we're just dealing with right now. So perfect. I like that intro. So with that, (laughs) with that, our listeners may have a nice little chuckle as well. Here's our first clip that Hannah chose for us for this Baroque musical blind tasting. Oh, 
So here's my thoughts on this first one. So first of all, I like always thinking about what we're actually hearing in the clip. And there we've got what I think is a countertenor. That um, maybe suggests a few things to me, although countertenors were pretty common throughout the Baroque era. In fact, a lot of Baroque operas and stuff like that were written for castrati, who were literally castrated male singers who were castrated at a very young age. It was a abhorrent practice that existed in the Baroque era, but they were kind of the operatic divas of the day. Um, and so that kind of narrows the scope slightly. We also hear a plucked string instrument, maybe like a lute or a theorbo or something like that. I don't know my plucked Baroque string instruments particularly well. And some sort of bass line, a gamba, cello, something like that. Now, the big clue for me here is that it's in English. And so that will narrow our scope substantially. And so in that, because of that, I'm actually going to say that I think this was written in England. And from our list of composers that I sent you, Hannah, there are actually only a few English composers. And the primary ones would be Handel. He's actually, he was born in Germany, but worked primarily in England and wrote a lot of English speaking pieces. And Henry Purcell, who was an English composer. And I actually think the, the thing that I'm drawn to here is that it sounds basically like a song, a very simple song. And it sounds a little too early Baroque, kind of simplistic, not that many frills, not uh it's more if you think about architecture it sounds a little more like renaissance architecture than baroque architecture it's not like gilded marble and very flowery columns it's kind of simple planes simple harmonies and so that uh it, that to me potentially suggests purcell and i know purcell wrote a lot of songs um, I have no idea what song this is. To be honest, I couldn't quite under make out the first line of, of what the singer was singing. But I think that's going to be my guess. I'm going to say that this is an English piece by the composer Henry Purcell. And I'm going to say Purcell, if I'm remembering correctly, lived a pretty short life. And it was at the end of the 17th century. Um, and so I'm going to say the 16th 80s, I'm going to guess, for this uh, piece. I realize, Hannah, that I forgot to tell you that I would be guessing the date as well, but a quick Google, we can uh, find out when these pieces were written if you didn't happen to pull up that information already. But for now, let's hear uh, the big reveal. How, how did I do on this, uh, this first clip? This is exactly like wine tasting. I am <laughs> shocked and so impressed. And you are officially like, I think, the nerdiest friend that I have. Okay. And that's well. like the biggest, that's the biggest compliment that I can give to someone. As I would also probably say that I'm a nerd, probably a lazy nerd. But anyways, that was Henry Purcell's Oh Solitude, oh, 1686. 
Oh, sweet. There we go. All right. Oh, solitude. I am flabbergasted at you. Well, wow. I mean, to be to be honest, this was this one was a little bit of a giveaway because I'm realizing just now scanning the list of composers, we don't have that many English speaking composers on here. And so that made my job significantly easier in this particular example. But nonetheless, I will take the supposed compliment of being your nerdiest friend. I'm not sure that that is a compliment in most circles. but It's 100%. For me, it's a compliment. So. I've had to own it for a while because this is, you know, this is the game that I play in the car. And so anyone else who's in the car with me is subjected to it. And usually I get a similar, usually it's not it's so much a compliment as please be quiet. But in no, any but case, you're like a provable nerd, like you legitimately know what you're talking about in this scenario. Do you know what I, I guess mean? maybe in this particular case. So I'm glad that I went <laughs> at least one for one so far. I have a feeling I'm not going to get all four of these right, but we'll see. In any case, here comes our second clip. Any uh, any initial thoughts on this this second clip? Uh, it just made me think of a movie called Kramer versus Kramer. So, okay, I have never seen that movie, but Meryl uh, Streep. I don't get it. Oh, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I need to see more Meryl Streep. I know you're a huge Meryl Streep fan. Huge, huge Meryl Streep fan. Yeah, I maybe I'll watch it after this uh, after this experience. Anyways, here's our Kramer versus Kramer clip number two. So before I guess this, I want to ask you, what is it about this clip that suggests this movie? Not knowing anything about the movie, but I just can't imagine a movie that would be uh, invoked by this clip. So please enlighten me. The movie actually features a lot of Baroque music, and I can't remember Uh, what piece it is specifically that makes me think of this particular. It's not the same piece. mm -hmm. Um yeah, but there's just a similar piece that's very guitar-y in I see, I uh, see. Kramer vs. Kramer. That's why. Gotcha. Okay. Well, in any case, so you gave away one thing there, which is, is of course, this is a guitar, I think, or some other plucked Baroque instrument, but I'm just going to operate on the assumption that this is a guitar, a guitar playing by itself. And so that suggests to us, here we have no voice. This is an instrumental piece probably some sort of sonata or suite, a set of dances. And I think our listeners might think in this second clip that there's not much to go off there. It's really one line. But an interesting thing that happens in that clip is that for our more advanced listeners, there's a very recognizable harmonic progression called the circle of fifths that we hear several times. Um, that signals to me 
and I may be wrong on this, but the circle of fifths was something that emerged over the course of the Baroque era as a more commonplace thing to use as tonality, kind of modern sense of tonality um, grew. And so composers of the later Baroque are composers who I would more uh, quickly associate with this type of harmonic progression that we hear over and over. One composer who used a lot of circle of fifths particularly was the composer Corelli. Now, I don't think this is Corelli because Corelli wrote primarily for the violin and for string ensembles, and he didn't write a lot of music. Um, and I don't, unless this is some sort of transcription for the guitar, I'm not inclined to think this is Corelli. Another composer, though, that comes to mind who writes this kind of Baroque classical fusion type of music where it sounds Baroque in some ways, but it has kind of classical harmony of some kind is the composer Domenico Scarlatti, who wrote a lot of keyboard sonatas. But if I'm not mistaken, I think he also wrote some things for the guitar. And I'm looking at this list and to me, an instrumental sonata type piece like that, it could also be Vivaldi. Um, uh, but to me, it sounds like Domenico Scarlatti. Um, so I think I'm going to roll with that. He was Italian. Um, so I, I think, I, and I think I feel pretty good about this coming from Italy. I'm going to say that it's Domenico Scarlatti, and he was born in the very famous same year as Bach and Handel in 1685. Now, I think he wrote most of his stuff in the kind of early to mid 18th century. So I'm going to just venture a guess at this, that this is from the 1720s, maybe seven, let's say 1720s, but I could be totally wrong on this one. I'm just, just shooting in the dark here, but that's my guess until Italy, Domenico Scarlatti, uh, 1720s. I feel mean. <laughs> for sending this clip to you because of well maybe okay maybe you'll talk me down from this it is box lute suite in e minor how mm. big of a deal is it that it's a lute suite and modern instruments today typically sway guitar like this no, got played on a guitar that's not a big deal at all um mm. that's a that's a perfectly legitimate thing to send. And uh, so I whiffed on, on several accounts. But you now, were very close. I mean, it, it, it makes some sense when, when I think it through again, because of course, another composer who uses a lot of modern harmony progression of fifths like that is Bach. There was something about this that just swayed me away from Bach, but I, I, can, I can totally see it now. Um, Disappointing. So that means, do we know? Do we know what decade this was written in? Seventeen oh eight to seventeen seventeen. Sort of mm. unknown. Okay. So there we go. So I missed all three there. Unfortunate. Seventeen seventeen is very close to the seventeen twenties. There we go. I did choose a composer who shares a birth year with Bach. So yeah. But yeah. in any case, that was another very good one. Um, Bach wrote a ton of unaccompanied pieces as a violinist. I know his. Six sonatas and partitas for violin well, and so it makes perfect sense that he wrote this kind of instrumental suite for for lute here. Um, 
great choice. I, I very much enjoyed that piece and uh, awesome. So one for two. Let's uh, take a stab at at the third clip. See if I can redeem myself here. Um, any thoughts on this one before we give it a listen? I just thought it was so much fun. I I just loved all these clips. So. Yeah, this is this one. I particularly I, I I just listened very briefly to the beginning of all of these, but this had a lot of promise for me. So here's clip <laughs> clip number three. I'm not sure if I'll get it, but I I enjoyed the first three seconds. So here is our third clip of Baroque music here. Okay. All right. So I love this clip. I have to go listen to the whole piece once I figure out what it actually is. So again, we'll start with the obvious maybe, maybe not so obvious to some people, but this is a piece for organ, um, presumably solo organ. That's the only thing that we heard in this clip. And so to me, my initial thought, and this is by no means determinative, but I'm going to go to composers who were organists of which there are many on this list, but that's gonna help me narrow a little bit. Um, Bach, very famous organist. Uh, this is gonna expose my my knowledge of Baroque music. Praetorius, certainly an organist. Buxtehaude, a virtuoso organist. Um, I think possibly Pachelbel played the organ. I'm not so sure about that. Um, he could be a virtuoso organist and that would be embarrassing. And then the other composers on this list, I just associate less with the, maybe Schutz as well, but, but I'm not gonna, I don't think this is Schutz. Um, so those are the composers that I'm thinking about originally, because this sounds to me like a kind of virtuosic in a way organ piece. Now I could also be wrong about this, but the type of piece that this sounds like to me would be a Takata. Um, a toccata is a type of Baroque piece, often introduces, a lot of people might know Bach's very famous toccata and fugue. And like the piece that we just heard, it kind of starts with this cascading, very fast, virtuosic passage. And then in Bach's very famous toccata and fugue, which, you know, is, is on Fantasia and starts every Halloween show and stuff, there's this drone over which there's a lot of virtuosic organ playing. It really makes use of the full breadth of stylistic variety that you can get on the organ. So I'm kind of thinking this is a Takata for organ. It could always be Bach, but to me, it sounds, uh, again, I could, I, could, I could blow this, but because I missed Bach on the last one, but to me it sounds a little earlier, a little more primitive than some of Bach's organ writing. And a composer who Bach kind of looked to, I think he might've even studied with at some point, 
for organ inspiration was Buxtehude. He was kind of the preeminent organist in the middle of the 17th century, especially in Germany. Um, and so I'm going to say that's going to be my guess here. I think it's going to be Buxtehude. I think it's going to be a Takata in G major. That's German. Buxtehude is German. And I'm going to guess, you know, he lived kind of, I think he died right around 1700. And I'm going to say 1680s. So that's, uh, I'm giving a very specific guess on this one uh, with the understanding that I could be wrong on all counts. But Hannah, big reveal. What do we have here? We have Pachelbel, Staccata, and Fugue in F major. Oh, Staccata and Fugue in F major. Interesting. So I was thinking that this would be, we don't, we don't need to worry about the key, but Pachelbel, I should have, hmm. Okay, so I exposed myself there that I wasn't totally convinced on my knowledge of if Pachelbel is an organist. I'm glad that I got the Toccata. What what a decade was this written in? Um, I'm having a hard time finding it. IMSLP is saying first publication of 1710 or before. Okay, that could be correct. We'll uh, we'll roll with that. I mean, Pachelbel. I think he died right around 710, 1710, but it's probably a lot of these pieces also are not totally known when they were written. But in any case, Pachelbel of canon in D fame, this actually sounds like a composition from that same composer. So I like it. So at least I got the Takata and maybe kind of close on the date. Pachelbel also happens to be a German. So I'm glad that I at least got the German thing right. A lot of these composers for organ happen to be German. Um, but excellent choice. That's one that I'm going to have to go and listen to after we're done recording this podcast. So we're on to your final choice here. Hannah, any, uh, any teasers or thoughts about this last one? When I go to a party, when this is all over, I'm going to put this song on and people are going to laugh at me, but I just want to play it at a party because it sounds like fun. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I think yeah. an excellent <laughs> teaser for our listeners. So here we go. The fourth clip, last one that we've got here. Um, maybe I can go two for four. Otherwise, this is going to be, uh, you know, how can I even sleep at night after going <laughs> one for four on these Baroque compositions? We'll see. We'll see. Here we go. Clip number four.
Okay, so this one, yeah, definitely sounds like party music to me. We've got <laughs> much more, much, we've got a much bigger contingent of players in this clip. As our listeners probably can hear, there's percussion now. Um, it's more of a, it's certainly not a full orchestra, but it's it's a larger, it's what in the Baroque period was kind of the beginnings of a full orchestra, several string players, some percussion. And the characteristic sound of this clip to me is this kind of gallant, what we call kind of gallant style, uh, which which I think doesn't, uh, I don't even know exactly what the translation is, but it's it's got a kind of gallant feel to it. It's got a swing. And that music is stuff that we associate primarily with France. And so... Initially, I, I think to myself, this has to be something from France. And that's not totally ironclad. The other composer, there, there are a couple other composers here that I could see that are possibilities. But the other thing that this suggests to me from a narrative standpoint is that this is a composer who wrote a lot of operas, potentially, or other kind of staged vocal works because this feels to me not so much like a pure, absolute, instrumental suite like we had in the Pachelbel organ piece or the Bach lute suite. This sounds to me to be some sort of party music that we would see during a party scene in an opera or, or something like that. So I'm inclined to go to the operatic composers and primarily those who are at least influenced by the French tradition, if not French themselves. And so the three on this list that it makes me think of are Rameau. Well, Lully is the kind of granddaddy of French opera. And his main disciple was Rameau. Um, Couperin is a French composer, but I don't think he wrote any opera. And then they, uh, Pergolesi is another composer who wrote opera and was very influenced by both French and Italian styles. This sounds to me too French to be Pergolesi because he was kind of a fusion um, of the Italian operatic style and the French operatic style. And then the other X-factor composer that this could be is Monteverdi, who wrote operas he wrote this piece Orfeo and often when Monteverdi is performed it includes a lot of this kind of percussion and it's rambunctious that being said it just I can't see this I can't see this being Monteverdi and so I'm, I think I'm gonna uh, eliminate that as well as Pergolesi and so I'm gonna think either Lully or Rameau and of those two it seems a little more a little more free-flowing a little more uh exploratory than the rigidness that I might associate with Lully. And it feels a little more gallant, which is I associate more with Rameau. And so that's, I think, what I have landed on, that this is some instrumental, either an overture or an instrumental interlude from maybe an opera or some sort of staged work by Rameau. Choosing between like Lully and Rameau is a little bit to me like choosing between Barolo and Barbaresco or something in uh, in wine tasting. These wines that are like almost identical, but 
Um, but I think there are differences, and I, I'm going to say Rameau. I'm going to say that's French. Um, and, you know, Rameau wrote later than Lully. He was more in the 18th century. And so I'll just guess 1730s. That's that's going to be my guess here. But Hannah, big reveal. Um, I could save myself here with a correct answer. What do we got? Uh, Lully. We oh, had L- wow. Yeah. Excuse okay. my French. I haven't taken a look of French, so I'm going to butcher this. Alceste, La yeah, Fate, yep. Infernale. Yeah. Famous opera You were so Lully. close, though. Yeah. I mean, that's listen, I'm, I'm not going to beat myself up too much over those because, like I was saying, Lully and Rameau, a little bit... Um, there's a lot of overlap between the two of them. Mm. And so, but, but, uh, great choice. Um, I'm glad I at least got a French grand opera composer that not grand opera tragedy, lyrique composer there. And if it's Lully, it's going to be before 1720, presumably, but, um, excellent choice. And I think I'm, I'm super impressed with your choices overall, Hannah. I think you got not only a huge span of Baroque repertoire, but I think, other people, given this task that I assigned you to do here with very little guidance, would have settled on a lot more stuff that uh, is very familiar to our listeners. Something by Vivaldi, something by Handel, something by Bach. I think you hit on a lot of important stylistic uh, periods in the Baroque here. So I want to commend you for for choosing some great clips here. And I want to commend YouTube. <laughs> For going one for four, I, you know. I, listen, it's okay. I I knew coming into this that the Baroque was going to be challenging. At least I was kind of in the proximity of a few of these. But nonetheless, uh, hopefully, what are I think what I what this might show um, my failures might show two things: one that it's always fine to be be wrong, but two that I think in. Uh, Maybe maybe we can say four out of four. Uh, the, the Bach one I missed a little bit, but I think in all four cases, we were in the right proximity. You know, we, we could determine that this was an organ toccata. We could determine that this was a guitar or lute suite. We knew that it was either Lily or Rameau. Um, and so there are, you know, people blend together the Baroque in their mind, I think, because you hear it a lot on the radio and all of it sounds so uniform and... And there are real stylistic differences, and it's music that, just like any other music we talk about on this podcast, can be listened to very closely and attentively, and there are things to be appreciated in in every piece. And, I, you know, I think the other thing that you did great in this uh, Blind Taste thing is we heard, I can't think of two things that sound more different than that Loli and uh, that Bach lute suite. So I think we covered a big variety of music in the Baroque. So... Any uh, takeaways you have from this uh, this exercise? I'm curious, Hannah. Do you, if you had to rank the four standard eras of music in terms of what you enjoy the most, Baroque, classical, romantic, and contemporary, um, or modern, what? Uh, how would they rank for you? I think before today I would have ranked Baroque last, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. But after after today, I had a great. Had a great little afternoon picking out these little pieces, and um, I think it's it could be in the top two right now. I'm I think I'm always gonna just love romantic, yeah, because um, that's the most popular. I would say, um, 
I, I think I've it's 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 really a very hard it ranking. It's yeah, it's a it very a hard, hard ranking. ranking. They're all, I, I think that's that's what I was curious about though, because I think most people would agree with that. And to me, um, all four of them are fantastic. You know, it's like asking who your favorite composer is. You can never answer that. But there are a lot of times where I just feel like, you know, the only thing I want to listen to right now is Baroque music. So with that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. Loved hearing your insights on both wine and your choices of uh, Baroque music. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us as always. And we will be back shortly. I wish you the best health, sanity, uh, calm in the new year. And, uh, you know, better times are just around the corner. In the meantime, listen to some solid Baroque music. So thanks for joining us. And we will be back soon. Thanks, Hannah. Goodbye, nerdy friend. (laughs) Yeah.